This is a production of Cornell University. But yeah, we're talking about hydrojacks, Frank. <laughs> hydrojack machine. I used to love. I used to love my hydrojack. I yeah. I actually I think at one point I might have had three of them to keep one running. I think we still do. <laughs> I think we still do. Uh, but yeah. they don't run. You know. The thing that's funny about that before we get started, and you know, for those that listen, and if you start the podcast here, Carl, um, this was back when we didn't have as many options. You know, Rick remembers when you had one option, right? Yeah. Now you got fit. We talked about this with Rock and Lawns last week. Now you got 15 options, right? But so back in the day, this was so innovative, and you know, it, there was good research that it, it was beneficial because of the sort of explosion that happened, which was ideal because we were just sand top dressing and we were building up this interface between the native soils and the sands back then. And, and if you didn't blow the stupid stuff back up, yeah. it was really ideal uh, for that particular problem. See, we're going to yeah. have a ball today, Carl. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a fun one. Uh, <laughs> thanks everyone for joining. This is week seven. The Cornell Turf Show, uh, episode 15, and our guest today, we've already been chatting a little bit, is uh, former superintendent Rick Slattery. Uh, you guys will know him from his work at the Locust Hill Country Club, who hosted an LPG uh, tournament for many years. Uh, Rick's a good friend of ours. We, we still work on projects, research projects with Frank, uh, or with Rick, most notably our BMP project with the RIT team. We'll talk about that today. Um, but as always, we'll get started, Frank, with you. Um, I, you know, I had some motion sickness on an airplane last week, and and maybe it's not the airplane, maybe it's the weather. You know, this weather roller coaster that we're on has given me the the headaches and and, and the case of the throw ups. Uh, is yeah, that, yeah. Is that what we're seeing. Well, I know firsthand, Carl. It, it's do. always it's always fun traveling with you. you you're my man. I mean, I'm I, my I have had people call me a camel the way I travel. And, and so I'm, uh, it's been really great traveling with you. Hey, welcome everybody to the show. Uh, we're really excited to have uh, Rick Slattery, my, my longtime pal now. Uh, we've been chatting for years about this, but let's get started with, uh, you know, everybody who's working hard, right? Everybody's working hard, getting started. And there's just nothing like good dog pictures to get them started. And, and really for one of the topics we're going to chat about with Rick today, uh, you know, people firing up those systems. Here we are down in the Carolinas. And, and we used to have a dog around. Uh, uh, Josh Fontaine's dog, Luna, used to love to do this, chase after the sprinkler heads. This is a unique trait, uh, I would say, for uh, golf course people everywhere. And uh, one of the things I want to remind you of is there's a lot of other sadness about charging up this irrigation system, as Phil uh, mentions there. And just one more reminder, Carl, before we get to the tip of the day, uh, in a couple of weeks, we will not be live here. We will be out at the links of Greystone with Golf Course Superintendent Tim Hahn and the GCSANY doing one of our walk and talks. Uh, and it will be a lively discussion about all things managing early spring golf courses in the Rochester area, but also a lot of BMP stuff. As you can see, there's lots of water. Uh, on this golf course. So you'll know we'll be yakking about BMP. So Carl, let's, where are we today on the tip? Yeah. So, so our guest today, Rick, uh, some of you may have heard podcasts in the past on, on your podcast, Frank, talking about uh, Rick's use of bent grass on his golf courses and, and taking this long-term approach, trying to get the newest varieties, uh, improving the competition out there to use less resources uh, and so actually, we looked at some data the last couple of years, we actually simulated a uh, fairway management program for dollar spot. And, and we're going to have this document coming out here soon with 
the New York Golf Course Foundation. Uh, if you get to that slide there, Frank, basically this is a graph. Uh, the blue line is the dollar spot index, the Smith Kern dollar spot index for one year in Ithaca, New York back in 2020. And we've got a couple thresholds there. So in the model, a 20% threshold is when they say you will typically see dollar spot on uh, susceptible turf. That 40% threshold is when you introduce new varieties, dollar spot resistant varieties. Uh, that's when you'll see dollar spot happen. And I've got these icons up here on the top and these represent uh, three different management programs. So the black dots is a, a typical preventative program. Every 21 days, you would apply a fungicide uh, to reduce dollar spot incidents. The green uh, squares are a model-based approach. If you still have susceptible varieties, but if you use this data from the Smith-Kearns model, that 20% threshold, you only treat when you're above that threshold. Um, and then there's the, the, the red triangles. You notice only two of them on there. This is if you both use the model and you have resistant bentgrass varieties. Now that ups your threshold to 40%. You'll notice there's only two red triangles on here, right? So in this specific year, you would have only treated two times compared to the preventative approach, which was seven times. Um, so we did this for multiple different years and we put together a table here, uh, a bunch of things going around, but if you if we draw your attention to that five year total, this is the number of uh, fungicide applications you would have made under these three different management approaches for dollar spot. And you can see up there in the top, Ithaca, New York, if you use that preventative approach every 21 days, you would have applied 35 applications over five years. If you have resistant varieties and use the model, you would have applied only 17 times. So you would have cut your applications in half. We translate this into dollar amounts too. So you can see you're saving $45,000 if you transition to those resistant varieties, if you're using that data. Uh, and this is some of the stuff that, that we worked out. We didn't just do it for Ithaca. We did it for Millbrook, New York, uh, an area down in Hudson Valley as well. Uh, so kind of illustrating here the, the real life value you can get from reducing your fungicide use by employing uh, not only a data-driven approach, but the latest turf grass varieties. Carl, and so the perfect uh, segue is uh, what do the models currently say? I mean, if you look at your chart here, uh, it looks like the first application, at least in 2020, would have been right around uh, Memorial Day. And the other thing I want to draw your attention to uh, that you had on this first slide is improve the competition, right? Seeding with the newest variety. So this is so exciting to see this translate into real dollar amounts. And, and again, we're talking early spring here and we're gonna talk about the weather in a second, but clearly we're not anywhere near uh, dollar spot issues. And again, when you're talking about large areas like fairways, we wanna be really careful. So yeah, Carl, here we go again with the roller coaster, right up and down and up. And then we were up almost to record highs, uh, at least in the Ithaca area, over the weekend, and now we're well uh, below average, not near the record min, but pretty close. So the roller coaster continues. The departure from normal last week indicated that if you were east of New York State, uh, pretty much Hudson Valley east, you were uh, below normal, and essentially west, you were a little bit above normal with Buffalo and, and out western New York, western PA, coming in at the warmest. Now, this didn't translate still very much to, to degree days. The, the majority of the region was still getting into 20 to 30 base 50 growing degree days. So not a big advancement. You got to go pretty far south uh, into, the, into Delmarva, the DMV, and, and before you start to see even 70 to 80 
base 50 growing degree days. And it doesn't look like this is going to change uh, very much. At least we might see a little uh, warm up uh, initially and then uh, cold again coming forward. So again, not a big advancement, maybe 20, 30 growing degree days. From the rainfall perspective, it was a dry week. I think this would be, except for a couple of areas, considered to be very dry. Uh, and on the what you notice here, and this is what I talked about with R.D. Gaetano this morning, our climate guy, um, you know, basically saying, you know, you're starting to see solar radiation really increase. So, you know, we got less than a half to a quarter of an inch, and most of the region is starting to see a half to three quarters of an inch uh, of evapotranspiration now, right? So we're creeping towards that inch of water lost a week, right? That magical value we always used to talk about. So we're just really starting to see uh, the impact of the sun starting to dry things out. And it doesn't look like uh, we're going to see much change in the near term. So it looks like in the near term, it's going to be uh, right around uh, right around average. Might be a little wet up in the northern part of Maine. Uh, the forecast over a seven, six to 10 day period is calling for a little uh, wetter condition. So we'll uh, wait to see how this continues to pan out. Now the two inch soil temperature, again, really tracks that roller coaster air temperature. And you can see that, you know, you're in the forties out in Buffalo and you're in the sixties down in Atlantic city, in the middle of Atlantic city, metropolitan area, you're right around hovering in the fifties. And again, some of this is gonna be impacted by how wet uh, or dry you are. Now in the, in the area of predicting what's going on, right? Let's look at what the GDD tracker is telling us uh, for where we are with the things we pay attention to on a golf course. So first off, uh, just yesterday, it looks like we're just coming in in the New York metropolitan area to the heavy POA seed flush. Now this is a base 22 degree model that was developed for the seed head flush, okay? So you see we're early and now we're starting to move into by the middle of next week, uh, the heavy seed head flush. So you're gonna start to see now how well your seed head suppressions have done, right? Now, what you wanna be careful, and one of the reasons it's good to pay attention to this, because when you get this flush, this is the beginning of the decline of some annual bluegrass, right? Flowering is an energy intensive process. We haven't talked much about this. It's an energy intensive process for the POA. That's why suppressing it is good because data shows rooting and, and energy storage increases. So number one, it's important to see that. Number two, if you got a lot and your seed head thing failed, I would wait because to put another PGR because it could prolong the amount of time that seed head stays on the stalk, right? You sort of want to get it to grow out now. If you missed it, you want to get it to grow out. So I would be really careful about continuing to use the seed head suppression if you're seeing a bunch of, you know, more than 50% seed heads breaking through. Now, recently we've been talking about uh, annual bluegrass weevil applications, insecticide use on our golf courses. So I think it's mindful with uh, around pollinator best management practices to remind you of potential weeds that could be flowering. So right now, uh, the GDD tracker indicates that early and mid season winter annuals and perennials are starting to flower. Uh, and we're not to the mid season perennials yet. 
So early on, we're starting to get that early flowering uh, of these seed heads, right, uh, of these flowering plants. So you'll want to mow before an herbicide or any pesticide app, uh, pe insecticide application to get the flowers off. Obviously, you might be doing weed control to get rid of the flowers. But either way, you don't want to be applying things when there's flowers in the turf because the, 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 the research shows obviously it's going to be impacting pollinators. So that's something to keep in mind. And the last thing is you can see with this particular model in crabgrass germination, how uh, prolonged we are. We still got till next week till we start to see any germination. So I would say we're, we're a little bit behind. And I think with the forsythias uh, flowering, uh, that may be a little bit of uh, asynchronous now. So you want to pay attention to uh, crabgrass germination, especially if you're using pre's or you use an early post program like Dimension that'll knock down those early uh, germinants and not uh, and, and give you some pre-emergent control after that. All right, we're going to start to transition to our conversation today. And I pulled a couple of pictures. Uh, this is from a, a golf course in... Uh, the mid-Atlantic region, or uh, maybe even Kentucky. I think it is Kentucky. On the right was with two fall applications of POA cure. On the left is untreated. So, you know, this is the, what we talk about. You've heard me talk about with this particular compound. I'm not saying, you know, there's none of these things are a free lunch. And it's not like this isn't going to have some issues associated with it, as those of you might listen to my the Frankly Speaking podcast, I just had this conversation with Jim Brosnan, but there's no denying when I've seen this happen on multiple continents that using it according to the directions uh, can, not always, but can produce really uh, profound results. Uh, now, the other thing to consider, my pal Don Cross, my old buddy at Skokie Country Club, uh, among one of the old guy groups there, Rick, like you and I, redid Skokie a number of years ago into bentgrass or wall-to-wall -wall bentgrass playing surfaces, new greens, new fairways. And it's a Donald Ross design. And he's got a lot of these uh, cut across bunkers on fairways where fairway mowers have to turn intensely there. And Don's approach is <laughs> sod it out. If it's starting to get too much POA, we're just, we're just taking it out, right? So another strategy for getting rid of the POA. And Rick, these are a couple of pictures you sent me from uh, Andy Ike uh, on the right. Uh, the seedlings coming up under the cover uh, on his greens there at uh, Mohawk Valley and a sodded area of bentgrass uh, there on the left. Also uh, showing good uh, survival from winter injury and from snow mold. And so I thought I would bring up a couple of pieces of data that I got from Bill Kreiser at Nebraska. Uh, Bill, a number of years ago, and it for a number of years, has been studying desiccation uh, of bentgrass turf out in the Midwest. When, it, when they don't get snow, they get a lot of wind, it's really cold, and they wake up and their bentgrass is dead. A very different situation than us. But nevertheless, I, I want to talk about what they found here with seeding, right? So here you're looking at temperatures of the year back in 2014, and the quality of seed germination. And you can see uh, really quickly that the green jacket permeable cover, right? And even a plastic cover uh, is, is, or a weed barrier uh, is another kind of cover. 
all of the covers work better than pigments and doing nothing. But by far, the permeable cover seems to be the best. Now, here is what not seeding into bent grass looked like uh, in the first four to six weeks uh, without any uh, seeding. Uh, in this case, not very much coverage, 16% at week six. And here you have with seeding uh, a lot of, over, you know, in a one direction, you get really good coverage within six weeks. So the value of seeding, the value of covers in recovering some of these damaged areas. And I remember talking to Rick about this many years ago on the podcast. And, you know, you wouldn't associate a picture of people hand watering, for example, somebody who saved a lot of water. But yet when you spend any time with Rick, like Carl and I, uh, have the pleasure of doing, you know, this was one of the ways he avoided running more water was to go out to be more site specific. Now, one of the things I do have to put up with this knucklehead is these uh, taunts I get. Uh, now he's worried that Cole has got sticky stuff on his butt. <laughs> and, when, and when he goes to Fenway, the umps, Angel Hernandez with the floating strike zone is going gonna, is gonna to start grabbing Cole's butt to see if there's anything sticky there. So Rick, as we start to talk, uh, I, I wanna remind you, you wrote this great article in Golfdom uh, about 12 years ago now, where you wrote uh, on the heels of a Paul Azinger uh, address at a GCSA meeting back then, how you, know, you felt strongly we must reduce our, our dependence on water. Now the USGA uh, has a, a number of information about this. I think everybody in the golf industry uh, is embracing this uh, to a certain extent. And, and certainly there's lots of technology uh, from subsurface irrigation, controllers, turf soil sensors, you name it, the technology is out there. But deep thoughts from my pal here and what he wrote was, you know, one of the things we better start doing is proactively addressing how to use less water. And, and a simple thing for everybody to do, and I think Rick has talked about this in his wash pad talks over the years is just to simply, you know, measure how much water you're actually using. So Rick, uh, here's the questions for today. The two things I sort of covered in our 10 minute chat we'll get to have here. Uh, what are some of the early season things you used to like to do to favor your bent grass and maintain good plane quality? Then we'll get to the water management thing. So let me stop sharing and look at you. And so the podcast people don't have to feel like they're missing anything. Um, what do you like for, you know, you got to pull a golf course, especially when you got there, uh, you know, you see a lot of poa, you got some bent. What are some of these early things you were thinking about doing that favored the bent grass uh, over to poa? Well, I could tell you that, you know, I was, started my career in, in 1970. So uh, I was able to uh, actually watch what happened uh, as Poa started coming in on the golf courses over a long period of time. And in the early, in the seventies, we never used to worry about Poa too much. And uh, you know, I think that's because inputs were minimal. And uh, as we started adding irrigation systems and automatic irrigation, adding water, uh, the poets just started to take off on, on a lot of golf courses and a lot of weird diseases started to pop up and track those things we'd never seen before. And so I really think that if you're trying to transition from, uh, you know, poet to bent, uh, the, the place to start really is with water and re reducing your water and using the least amount possible. And, you know, that also plays into playability, uh, you know, keeping the playing surface firm 
and uh, the golfers like it. Uh, you know, the, the drives roll a lot further. Um, but that's basically where you start. And I think what this winter and this spring has shown a lot of people, at least to me, is number one, I think it's, I feel sorry for everybody because it's kind of testing their patience. Uh, they had not only a lot of winter kill, but now they've had a cold, they got a cold spring. And so they just can't bring it back quick enough. And we're trained to, to try to react and, and try to fix things. And one of the hardest things for superintendents to do is to not do anything at all. And it's not very good to be able to be, probably tell your membership that you're not doing much either. Uh, so you, you try to do something, but it's, it's been so slow, the recovery. But I think what it's shown is that I think as climate change advances, power is just not going to be sustainable anymore. You get in these, you, when you get these extremes in the weather, uh, power just does not react well to that. And if everybody looks at their greens, a lot of the photos we've seen, uh, the bent grass is doing fine. And uh, if you had a golf course that's 100% bent, you're probably not having much of a problem right now. Would you start the water? If let's say you know, it, you know, early spring, you know, I just made a case like, well, it's getting dry for the first time. You got some sand. Let's take away the guys who aren't recovering from damage because there's, you know, not everybody got hit. So there's a lot of guys growing grass right now. We're starting to see that shift. Do you remember? I remember the first time I talked to you on the phone back when we actually had to call each other from offices back in the mid nineties. And I called you up. Yeah. Once I get the 3 million gallons, I just shut the valve off. I don't care. By August, I'm done with it. So what about the other side of it? When do you start going? If you're not injured, are you in a rush to get everything fired up? Talk to me about that. No, uh, you know, if I'm not trying to bring anything back, if I'm in, you know, like for the LPGA, people used to come up to me and say, what do you do to prepare for the tournament? And it was usually any time uh, between the beginning of June and third week of June. And they say, what do you do to get prepared for? I said, nothing. <laughs> I, I used to love dormant turf, you know, or semi-dormant turf. Uh, if it's not disease, if it's not under stress, a little bit of stress, fine. In the spring, you see, I sometimes would see a little wilt or something during the day, but you, the night times are so long and so cool, everything would pop back and be looking fine just by the next day. But I never used to do anything at all. And then, uh, you know, in the spring, and I used to hold off water as long as I possibly could until I just absolutely had to. I can remember one time uh, I didn't turn the irrigation system on to check it until like a week before the LPGA, we had a main line break and I had a guy out fixing the main line okay. you know, a week before the tournament because I just don't rely on, on, on irrigation in the, in the spring. I think that really Poa, Poa loves the springtime and anything you can do to weaken it in the spring is going to be beneficial if you're trying to promote Ben. Okay. Okay. So one of the knocks and, and you know, again, maybe we've gotten better at this, but one of the knocks you'd make is, well, Ben Crest just doesn't get going. I mean, these people have been playing up in Rochester for a month, Rick. It was nice at the end of March, honestly. And it's been this up and down and up, you know, one day a golf superintendent's bailing hay on a green and four days later, he's barely shaving anything because it's been so cold. Uh, the grass is sitting there. You were getting, you were getting ready for a tournament. Plus you had country club play. Those greens weren't very big. How did the bent grass do under all that traffic? Was that an issue early spring, not having Poa there? No, I, it, it wasn't never really an issue for me. The, 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 the stuff that didn't look good was the POA. You know, that's the stuff that would look, it would seed out, uh, you know, things like that. But uh, it's the POA that would kind of get weak. The bent wasn't 
just because it's not growing doesn't mean it's okay. If it's healthy and it's alive and it's got, and it's, and it's not in decline, who cares? You know, just let it sit there. And then when you get the warm, a little bit of a warm temp, the bent will push a little bit, push a little bit on that POA. Um, but uh, I never really had a problem uh, with the bent. Like, as you talk about, as, as, as everybody talks about, boy, it doesn't get going quick enough and all that. But, uh, you know, like you saw from Andy Ike there, I mean, you saw his, his, uh, his, the results he's having, he seeded that about three weeks ago and, and he's got, great new seedlings coming up and everything like that. But I never used to worry about it. I, I liked having dormant turf. That means I didn't have, you know, a little bit of the bent grass would react fine. Uh, where I started seeing maybe some problems a little bit with the bent grasses with the spiking and things like that. When you, when it starts getting a little, little, uh, you know, a little puffy and things like that. But as soon as I applied nitrogen to a green, I started losing green speed. And as long as that, that bent's dormant and it's not dead and it's not struggling. I never saw a problem with it. You know, it was, it was growing slower, but uh, you know, I preferred keeping the, keeping the poor, poor week. So what about um, growth regulators? A lot of what I watched you do was cultural. Um, we have growth regulators. I'm sure you saw that poa cure slide. It certainly caught my attention. Yeah. I'm assuming you would have embraced that particular technology. Wouldn't you? have? Yeah. Yeah, anything to anything to defeat POA, um, you know, anything to to gain. See, sometimes even in when you get these hybrid golf courses, you know, you're not going to get a complete takeover of Ben, but you know what you're trying to do is you're trying to win the battle and not the war. And if you can gain territory, if you can just gain territory, if you if you can make that patch of Ben just a little bit bigger, because I'll, I'll guarantee it. The thing I used to always worry about was the next time this weather pattern comes around, I'm going to lose that grass again. The grass had died this time. Next time we get this, this weather pattern, it's going to die again. So you got to do something to strengthen it. And the thing that, the, the, the thing that was remarkable to me as I went through this in my career was I really saw, I think Paul will adapt. It'll adapt to any, it wants to survive. It'll adapt to any kind of environmental conditions or any kind of management program you put in place. And the POA that I did had didn't seed. I didn't worry about seed heads. You were just talking about seed head suppression. Mm -hmm. The POA I had on the golf course didn't seed. I never treated the seeds. The first two or three years I was at Locust Hill, my fairway mowers would come in covered with seed heads, covered with seed heads, just seed heads everywhere. And as I started adapting more to the bent and, and having the, the, the low import bent programs, those seed heads started to reduce and, I, and, and I, maybe it's the perennial poa that doesn't seed. And I never had a problem. I never treated for seed heads after probably about five or six years. And, uh, you know, I just, the poa will adapt. So the poa that I had on the golf course when I left reacted the same as the bent grass, the okay. same as the bent grass. I didn't have to have a different program for it. Now, I had certain greens that I had trouble getting a high percentage of bent in. So those did have to be what we talk about a lot, spot treated. Yeah, there were maybe two or three greens I went out. I might have hit them with a little bit of fertilizer right now, you know, because they were high percentage of polar and I needed- Bad growing environments, bad, bad growing environments. shade. Uh, one, I had a two-tiered green that was facing north that always gave me a problem. Um, so, you know, you treat those greens, you do something with those greens, but you don't do all 18. You know, that's where you look at, you'd want to scout your golf course and look at it. If you got two or three week greens, it's okay to go out and maybe have, if you have to spray them for something, or if you have to put some fertilizer on them or something. But the others that are strong and healthy and things like that, just stay away from them and, 
and try not to do have any inputs until you absolutely have to. Okay, so listen, Carl, as the reigning New York State Mint amateur champ, talking to the 1968 New Hampshire State Golf Champion, what do you want to ask uh, as a golfer when you see him not doing much in the spring? What do you want to talk to Rick about playability-wise? Yeah, I think, and, and, and I'm not going to ask this question, but I think a lot of members would ask this question, Rick, is I, I think they would look at the color of a golf course. And, and what I see early in the season is you see like, you know, the ryegrass is greening up and you see the poa still kind of looks bad. The bent's not really greening up. And if I don't see you doing anything as a golfer, I'm like, you know, well, how are you going to get faster green speeds unless you do something, Rick? You know, I don't see it green. It, is that going to mean my fairway lie is different? Uh, what did you say early in the season as, you know, we saw that spot watering of, of your fairways and you got more bent grass in there? What did those sort of look like? And then what did they play like early in the season? Uh, and how could you talk to your golfers about, about those two things? We used to have a tournament called the Locust. It was a uh, inv invitational tournament, low handicappers. Uh, it was about the second week of uh, May. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was always a tr struggle getting ready for it. But again, uh, dormant turf, you know, the, the bent grass isn't growing too much. I could shave the greens down, uh, do whatever you want in the spring. You can, you can beat the crap out of pole in the spring and you can't kill it. And uh, I'd shave the greens, roll them, put a little, put a little, uh, 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 you know, growth regulator down. I had green speeds, you know, way off the charts, you know, early because I didn't have any growth. Like I said, as soon as I added fertilizer, that's when things started slowing down. I had to struggle to keep the green speeds up. But the thing I would talk to the members about is don't look at the color, but look at, look at the playability. Are the greens rolling true? Are they quick? You know, that kind of thing. And and then I would always point out the new growth. And I think that's the key to a lot of the, my thinking when I, was a, when I was a superintendent. I always look at the new growth. And if I had new growth coming out, I would show that to the members and explain to them, you know, that you see this new growth coming out of the sheath and, you know, a week or 10 days, that's going to take over the plant. But if you shouldn't be treating anything that's killing the old growth. If the old growth's dying, it's got some disease on it, but the new growth doesn't show it, doesn't show that will problem or anything like that, then, you know, leave it alone. The new growth will, uh, will uh, you know, take over pretty soon. But in the spring, by not doing anything, not fertilizing, not watering, I had those dry, slow. I mean, for the tournament, I rarely, when I had conditions right, I really had to double cut. Because when I double cut on the second cut, I never got, any, never got any grass. And we got very little on the first cut. And that used to protect me against rainfall too, because let's say in this time of year, you don't have the labor to get out and mow and stuff like that. So you don't have to mow as often. So you, sure. you can spend time doing other things like checking your irrigation system and, and uh, you know, troubleshooting that. And uh, so, you know, I think along with all those things, I think communication with your members and in the, in the long run, I, I don't think they expect perfectly green conditions in April. So it gives you an opportunity to get in there and do some things that might not look so good, but as long as the playability is good. And I used to have members come up to me in greens committee and they would talk to me and they'd say, just, just don't mess up the greens. As long as the greens are rolling good, you know, you're going to be good. And throughout my career, I worked at, that's where the money is. And that's what, where guys want to focus. And whether you're at a high end course or a golf course. I, I worked at Center Point Country Club. We had a budget $180,000, but we had some of the best greens in town because you got a small amount of acreage 
everybody's got enough fertilizer and enough pesticide and some sand top dressing and maybe a vertic cutting machine that you can make those greens really good. And then the rest of the course, they don't really see as much, you know, uh, so concentrate on the greens, but dormant turf in the spring is a very playable turf. It's, it's great. Great. As green. long as it doesn't wear out. Right. As long as it's not wearing out, it starts wearing out, then you got to get in there. That's time to get into a little fur, maybe a tenth of a pound or something, get it more working. But that's where scouting your golf course and, and uh, you know, keeping a good eye on things and the trends that are going on and the weather that's coming up. That's where all that comes into uh, into play. Okay. Words of wisdom. Thank you, Rick. Good having you here. Carl, get us out of here. Yeah, Rick, as always, it's, it's a pleasure chatting with you guys. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining tomorrow on our Lawn and Grounds session we'll have kale bigelow from uh, purdue and we'll have an interesting chat with, with kale he's he's been a guest on before so you'll uh, you'll enjoy listening to him again if you've done that before everyone take care we'll see you tomorrow this has been a production of cornell university on the web at cornell.edu